0: really two stories being told in Matthew's gospel this morning one is the story of Jesus getting his first disciples and the story of the other is the story of how Matthew chose to tell that story not simply with the action itself but through the lens of prophecy and fulfillment Jesus called to these young fishermen and told them follow me and I will make you fish for people I wondered what did they use as a net what they throw out there? How did they actually go about fishing for people? We're told at the end of the passage that Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. That's a pretty good net, curing every disease and every sickness. But what about the disciples? After Jesus, after the resurrection, what did they use? They, they still did some healings, but certainly not to the same degree. That Jesus was healing people. So what was the disciples' net with which they fished for people? My guess is that their net was the first part of that passage that we hear, that their net was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, which has continued ever since. So what were they teaching? What was the narrative? What was the story that Jesus' disciples were teaching as they cast their net? This is the story, the part of the story in which the way Matthew tells this is instructive. Matthew tells us that when Jesus went to the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, that the words of the prophet Isaiah were fulfilled. The scripture he's quoting is what we heard this morning from Isaiah 9, 1 through 2. So the names Zebulun and Naphtali are themselves instructive. They're two of the tribes of Israel, the children of Abraham, whose names mean honor and wrestle. Israel will be honored once more. They will wrestle with their enemies and prevail. This prophecy was fulfilled during the reign of Hezekiah, the king of Israel hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. Hezekiah's reign was a time when Israel became faithful to God again after the atrocities of his father Ahaz. Hezekiah restored covenant faithfulness to God. He brought back honor to Israel, and when the Assyrian king tried to invade, Israel wrestled with them and won. So Isaiah 9 was fulfilled with Hezekiah as a king through covenant faithfulness to God and through military victory. But when Matthew was using Isaiah 9 to talk about Jesus, he knew that Jesus did not bring about military victory. As far as driving the Romans out, Jesus didn't. Something other than military victory gave honor to Israel in Matthew's eye. Covenant faithfulness to God and the presence of God within their midst in the person of Jesus. Isaiah 9 was fulfilled through Jesus in a different way than it was fulfilled centuries before. A different narrative was being told. In the previous narrative, one could identify blessing by God by seeing obvious outward signs of blessing. Well... Power. Prestige. And Israel had these under the reign of Hezekiah. But as a counter-narrative, Matthew and Jesus before him was telling the story that covenant faithfulness to God is its own blessing. And it would not necessarily bring wealth or power or prestige. Rather, covenant faithfulness to God brought blessings of peace amidst suffering. Contentment without great wealth. And confidence of eternal life in God, even in death. Outwardly, people may not seem blessed by the narrative that Na- Matthew and Jesus told. On the inside, however, if you got to know people, you would see their blessings. Love, hope, faith, peace, confidence, and contentment. I look at the stories and the narratives that we tell in our lives and the stories and narratives that we tell as as America and uh, the story of our country. And one of our dominant narratives in America is the narrative of each successive generation being better off than the generation before it. Each successive generation will have a little bit more financial prosperity than the preceding generation. And it's a compelling narrative, which is ultimately it's seeking to alleviate suffering the next generation won't need to suffer in the ways that we did because they'll be a little bit better off. Now, we have more stuff and more wealth than we know what to do with. But the challenge is that stuff and wealth don't actually bring about peace or contentment. They don't actually alleviate our suffering because we're not designed to be soothed by stuff. We're made to be in relationship with others and to be soothed and blessed. By people. As a nation, we have achieved immense wealth and power and prestige. From the outside, we look immensely blessed. No one else can even touch us. The immensity and the vastness of our wealth and treasures have not seemed to bless us inwardly, have not seemed to give us the blessings of love and hope and faith, of peace and confidence and contentment. Our wealth and power and prestige haven't stamped out suffering or worry or fear or anxiety. Indeed, we have very high levels of anxiety and depression and violence. A narrative that brought outward blessings to a nation, wealth and power and prestige, has not seemed to bring inner blessings of peace and contentment, of confidence, faith and hope and love. The narrative of finding blessing and alleviating suffering through more money and more stuff with each generation is a well-intended narrative, but it is a failed narrative. As disciples of Jesus fishing for people, we have a different narrative to offer, a narrative counter to the narrative of American blessing. Our narrative tells us that we are blessed not because of wealth or power or prestige, but we are blessed because of covenant faithfulness to Jesus. We're blessed by a life in which we seek first and foremost to love God and love others. We're blessed by a life in which we seek to partner with God in bringing about greater love and peace and justice and hope in the world. The signs of our blessing are not wealth and power or prestige, nor a life without struggle. Rather, the signs of our blessing are peace and contentment, confidence, love, hope and faith even amidst the same struggles that all people have as disciples of jesus we don't believe we're going to make our children's lives better by providing them with more money or more things than we had growing up as disciples of jesus we believe we make our children's lives better than ours or possibly as good as ours by providing them with love and faith with rhythm and relationship and with deep roots God and each other. In a society and culture continually speeding up, we slow down. In a society and culture that is increasingly loud and full of distractions, we grow quiet and centered. We, s- grow, we slow down and grow quiet and centered because so little of the speed and the noise and the distraction lead us to lives in which we bring about greater love and peace, justice and hope in the world. So little of the speed and noise and distraction help us to live intentional lives in which we love God and love other people. That's our net, or at least a large part of our net. As disciples of Jesus, we have and live lives of love and hope and faith, of peace and confidence and contentment. We live the story that covenant faithfulness to God is its own blessing and does not necessarily bring wealth or power or prestige. Rather, covenant faithfulness to God brings blessing of peace amidst suffering, contentment without great wealth, and confidence of eternal life in God, even in death. That's our teaching and preaching. And as disciples in Jesus, we get to go out and cast that net to live and give to others. Amen.